It's Song Talk Radio. Greetings and welcome to Song Talk Radio. This is the show where we all share tips and tricks on how to become better songwriters. So the idea of this whole thing is that we all share the things we figured out along the way. And hopefully by the end, we all learn at least three new things about how to write a better song. Sometimes it's five, sometimes it's more, but at least at least three new things. And uh, tonight I am your host. My name is Phil Emery. Neil, unfortunately, can't be with us. He uh, is on assignment in Walla Walla, Washington. And so um, don't forget, while listening to the show, you can send your thoughts and comments to feedback at songtalk.ca. That's feedback at uh, songtalk.ca. And we'd love to hear your thoughts and um, impressions of our guests or anything else we talk about on the show. And tonight... Our guest is Brian Aslan of The Commotions. And who are they? They are a Canadian soul funk collective. Um, and they are an all-original 12-piece Motown to disco era band that has brought the exquisite grooves of the famed Motor City all the way across the border. Of course, one of my favorite styles of music. Celebrating their first decade as a band, the founder uh, Brian Aslan has created the collective after spending Six years with the legendary musical group of the Funk Brothers, the exceptional session musicians who performed on the vast majority of Motown recordings. And uh, known as the time as Delbert and the Commotions, the group's uh, lead vocalist, uh, Delbert Nelson, was also a Motown collaborator, collaborator, leading the Funk Brothers on vocals in Standing in the Shadows of Motown, which is an amazing, uh, amazing movie. If you haven't seen it, definitely go see it a multi-award-winning documentary film about the world's most recognizable record label. Today, the band features all professionally trained jazz musicians, including the three lead vocalists, in a five-piece horn section. Thanks for coming on the show. Uh, so, what makes a good soul song? Oh, that's such a great question. Thanks so much for having me, Phil. Uh, what makes a good soul song? Um... Well, me being a saxophone player, I got to say, hands down, a horn section. Horn section, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, I, what we truly tried to do with the commotions is is pay tribute to that style of music, the Motown and the soul music of the 60s. Uh, and, you know, bringing in elements of the 70s uh, and even some elements of, of today uh, into right. our music. Um you know, I've I've always tried to capture that sound by including the five-piece horn section. It's such a staple of that music, and uh, also a string section. Mm. Uh, so, you know, arranging for strings, we have a really great string arranger in the band, and uh, and then we have a. Uh, I mean, there's six string players. We recorded it three times, so we tripled all the tracks. So mm. it sounds like a, an 18-piece string ensemble on the record. Ah, wow. So just trying to really do our best to, to capture that sound. And and another thing, it's it's all real instruments. So you, you, yes. hear, you hear a glockenspiel. It's actually a real glockenspiel uh, that I had somebody come in and record the parts. Um, every instrument is authentic. I, I rented a, a Rhodes. Um, what else did I rent? I rented a Clav. Uh, wow. I, I rented a, an, an organ. Everything is real. So there's, there's, there's. We we pulled out all the stops on this. So you know, for me, what makes a really good soul song is instrumentation. Uh, uh, of course, you know, uh, 
a, a strong lyric idea, a strong uh, harmonic hook. Uh, but for me, it all comes down to, to instrumentation. Yeah, the arrangements of the old Motown, um, you know, were, were just incredible. I'm, I'm a huge fan of Motown and went sort of, I've kind of gone through this period where I've been trying to replicate, you know, the, you know, the, the Motown tracks, yeah. which are actually sometimes very ragged. And I mean, they were really pushing stuff. There was like the drums were often kind of distorted and, yeah. you know, there'd be bits of distortion on the, uh, on the vocals. And of course, James Jamerson would be sometimes playing the wrong notes. Yeah. which um, people don't realize, but didn't seem to matter, uh, which is amazing. Now, with writing songs for horns, you do have to be conscious of the keys that you write in. Can you talk to that a bit? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so because horns, and other than the flute, when we don't have any flute in the band, but uh, all horns are transposed instruments. So, you know, if 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 I'm writing out a part in, you know, my vocalist really wants it in E, well, it means the trumpets and the tenor saxophones were in F sharp. So we have to be a little bit aware. Now, we're all well-trained jazz musicians, so we have no excuse not to play in 12 keys. <laughs> we should be able to do that by now. Um, but we, what I do have to stay conscious of is the range, uh, especially mm. for trumpet, you know. So, so really working with the vocalist to making sure that we pick a key where their voice rings exactly how they want it to ring um, and being able to also satisfy the band is somewhat tricky sometimes because, you know, if, if my vocalist wants it in B and I know my top note on trumpet, you know, is going to be, uh, you know, a D sharp, uh, then I know he's got to play a super F, which is, you know, challenging at times, especially where I put it in the set, right? If it's oh, right. towards the end of the set, then it's going to be some, it's going to cause some issues. So I, it's, it's a little bit of give and take, uh, but uh, so far we've, uh, we've been able to work it all out. <laughs> I was in a band and, yeah. the, and the singer kept on wanting to like move things up or down half a tone, mm -hmm. which resulted in one time where we were playing live where basically I was, I was playing in C and uh, the bassist was playing in, I think, C sharp and the yeah. piano player was playing in like B and it was, and we actually had to stop because it was so off we couldn't actually figure out what was wrong because the, the singer kept on changing things on us mm -hmm. because it was tired or anything like that. Is there um, a limitation on like changing keys from like, like a D to a D flat? It um, if it's done prior, not a problem. So, okay. so, so my job, uh, one of my jobs in the band, uh, other than, uh, being the main writer and, uh, the main arranger is, is I write everything down. So I use a, a notation software called Sibelius and I love that okay. software. And so I, every note is written, uh, for the songs. So, you know, I have a baseline written. Um, I know what the guitar player is playing. Um, I, to some degree, uh, guitar and piano, I'll, they're professionals. So yeah. I'll just kind of tell them my vision and, and then they, you know, let them do what they do. Uh, but the horns are all written down. Um, and, uh, so the rhythms are playing, you know, lead, reading off a lead sheet, the horns are reading a specific part. So on the fly, we can't transpose. Right. Um, but you know, if someone, if my vocalist tells me, oh, you know, you know, I've, I've you know, we got a gig tonight. I've got a bit of a cold. Can you just transpose this one song down a half step? I'd be like, no problem at all. And then I just open my software, make sure everybody has the new part, and then we're we're golden. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. 
Yeah, and with a, the Commotions is a 12-piece band. So me trying to align everybody's schedule yeah. for a gig is is really challenging. So How do you actually get that? You know, because I was in a three-piece and it was hard just yeah. getting like three people in the same room. How do yeah. you do it with 12 people? So, so I just booked two rehearsals for January. So I, I'm at least a month out, you know. Uh, so I've been working on some new tunes and I want to put them in the set uh, for our album release, which is in uh, towards the end of January. So I've just booked two rehearsals for the band in January. So usually I don't book them that far in advance. I'm usually about a month out uh, because everybody in the band is in other bands and just mm. trying to figure that, you know, trying to juggle on around. So I'm usually about a month out and uh, me sending an email. And then a lot of the time I'm just calling people. So I'm calling 11 people to see if they can make a rehearsal. One person can't make it. I got to figure out another time, call everybody else again. Uh, but, you know, it's 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 really not that bad. I mean, for it's worth all the minor headaches I might get just getting the band on stage and or releasing, you know, uh, songs or an album. It's worth all of that. But another reason why I have to write everything down is because I'll have subs on the gig. Oh. So I have a list of subs that I use if I need a bass sub one gig or a guitar sub uh, or a horn sub uh, like trumpet or, or, you know, berry sax or tenor sax. Um, I have a list of people that I could call on that have read the book before. Um, and so they'll just show up for a rehearsal if they can. Um, if not, they'll just read it on the gig because they've read it before. Yeah. So it's, it's just something that I've had to live with running a 12 piece. As long as my singers can make it and my drummer yeah. <laughs> and, and, and me, I guess, as long yeah. as, you know, the, the, so three singers, drummer and me, as long as we're available for a gig, I can make it happen as long as time, you know, uh, organized enough. I have everything on Dropbox. I live my life on Dropbox. Right. Um, uh, if Dropbox ever is looking for sponsorship, I would love to be, I'd be very interested. <laughs> I use it all the time. Um, so all my parts are on Dropbox. So if I know I have a sub, you know, I have all my charts. I send the link to the new player with all the audio files and all the PDF charts, and then they can just practice on their own and, and, you know, play with the tracks and then we're golden. Oh, that's great. What a great way yeah. of doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Sending the tracks makes such a huge difference. I never thought huge of difference. It. Yeah. Is that, yeah. yeah, they can actually literally play along with the track. Mm -hmm. Wow. So yeah. now when you're writing, um, the song that we're going to be playing tonight, uh, which I believe is called feel the commotion. Let's talk about the writing of that. What was the process like that? So that was the tune I, I co-wrote with uh, my co-producer, um, Alex Mastronardi, and our singer, our vocalist, Rebecca Noel. Uh, so that was a tune that, I'm trying to think how that tune started. It started towards the end of the pandemic. So this record has been in the works since the release of our last record. But a lot of the writing happened during COVID, so happened on Zoom. And when it was safe to do so, we would get in the same room and we would wear masks if, if we needed to. Mm. Um, so this song was written, I'm trying to think when this song was written. It was towards the end of COVID, one of our more recent songs before we went to the studio for the record. And it's a tune that Alex and I started. We just wanted to make a song that could get people on the dance floor. Right. Right. And and I have this habit 
of mentioning the band name and lyrics. I've done it many times before. <laughs> it's just because the, the commotion or commotion has, it's such a great word. Oh, yeah. uh, and I love, I love the definition of it, uh, causing a commotion or, you know, hmm. that type of thing. So I was like, I'm going to try to write a song with the band name in the title. So feel the commotion kind of came out and then got together with Alex. And then we, uh, wrote the progression. The progression is actually quite easy. It's really just a pop tune. Yeah. Um, and then we tried to craft lyrics, um, using inspirations from today's music. So I, I think mm. we, were we were listening to Jonas brothers at the time, just to get some inspiration, mm. uh, and trying to bring those ideas and like those that kind of not lyric content, but just like either lyric form or just the way they were singing the melodies and stuff. We tried to bring that those inspirations into this song. Right. Yeah. Because the um, I've often talked about how, you know, the music of the 60s and the 70s, the way they approach the lyrics mm -hmm. and the subject, it was very different, you know, yeah. and I always use, you know, one of the, the, the great uh, last train to uh, Georgia which of course started off as last plane to Houston yeah. before it got changed. Thank God for that. Mm -hmm. um, but how that song probably wouldn't come through these days because it's, it's a very, you know, you're it's, it's sort of someone's expression, but talking about someone else and, and their expression, like it's actually a very emotionally and, and conceptually complicated song and stuff mm -hmm. doesn't seem to have that complexity today. Mm -hmm. When you were putting the track together, lots of people are always thinking or talking about how the technology has changed the way they've approached putting their tracks together. You know, thinking about, okay, how is this going to work on TikTok? Um, you know, how is this going to hit on, you know, Spotify? Do you think about any of those kinds of things with uh, when putting your tracks together? A little bit. I mean, I would love for someone to take our music on TikTok and just kind of fly with it. Um, I think a lot of our music could be used as a somewhat of a dance video. And mm. um, I just, uh, my issue is that, you know, me being, you know, 45, uh, I'm not on TikTok very yeah. often. Um, and um, our demographics, actually, this single surprised me. You know, I thought our demographics for this band in the past were typically my age and older. Right. Um, but with this single, Spotify, I, I love analytics and I love mm -hmm. looking looking through and just seeing where are, where is our audience and how old is our audience. And um, I've discovered that our audience is now 28 to 34. That's like the biggest demographic for us, which oh, right. really, really surprised me. So maybe I'll be on TikTok a little bit more. <laughs> I can learn how to use TikTok now. That's, that's the problem. There's also one thing I noticed is that your intro is, is actually, you know, quite long because now they seem to want to get to like the, the, the chorus, like within 10 seconds yeah. almost now, it seems kind yeah. of crazy. Yeah. Where this has, you know, it's actually a um, kind of a slower burn. It is, yeah. Because I knew this, I knew this track just because I had the the band in the title. Hmm. I knew this track was going to be the first track off the record. So uh. what, I, what I wanted to do was create, and this is like again throwback to um, 
a bit of Motown, but also like the disco area, you know, throwback to just having a very slow burn instrumental. So it starts with the rhythm section. Um, and it, it's on, it's the same chord progression pretty much like throughout the whole song. So mm. it's, it's, it's really just harmonically very simplistic. So, but I have like the bass and the guitar and the, and so the rhythm section playing the first time and then the strings come in and then the horns come in. So it, it features each section individually uh. leading into, leading into the, uh, the vocals. So I was thinking about having this kind of overture kind of stating this, this is what the listener is in store for, for the entire duration of the record. So this kind of kind of wall of sound. So I was like thinking of an arrangement, thinking like an arranger when I wrote this song, knowing that the intro was going to be this kind of like overture esque, you know, intro. Ah, interesting. Yeah, because yeah. it was it's it's kind of nice hearing like sort of a long intro as opposed to you know everything in ten seconds. Because in truth, that's going to date the song as much as you know, um, gated reverb dates yeah. some of the the less well-aged stuff in the 80s um, right so we'll take a listen to it and sure. is there anything we should listen for do you think or should we just take a listen I mean, it's it's like i said it's very uh a simple progression um i try i really try to have fun with the uh the horn arrangement uh mm. kind of th throw back to some disco um and uh the only departure really is the bridge which All is right. uh, which is a um I know for me, it's kind of like the almost the climax of the song only because we've heard that progression many times now. So we're taking a little departure um, into the bridge and the whole band um, with Barry kind of plays the bridge, that kind of bass line. Yeah. So I kind of arranged it for all the instruments. So bass is doing it, guitar is doing it, um, Barry is doing it, piano is doing it. And then the horns come in a little bit later. So, yeah. Let's have a listen. Yeah, let's go. Yeah. Why should I dress to the 
so let's get in the game. You say it's not your scene, that your friends dragged you along. But I don't believe you're incapable of fun. There's a win between, can't stop yourself from dancing to this song. To this song, it hits you like a shotgun kick drum. Great tune, great tune. Oh, thanks so much, Phil. With the verse structure, it was it's just you have like like a you have an A part and a B part of the verse. Mm-hmm. And the A parts change, but the B parts don't, which I thought mm-hmm. was was kind of neat. And which is which is a, a, a great um a strategy for people working on lyrics. Sometimes they think they have to have, you know, completely new lyrics through every part of the song. And you don't necessarily have to because there's because there is a lot happening in the song. If you have too much happening in the song and too much happening in the lyrics, like you sort of don't know where to pay attention to. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things that theater directors do is they really know how to focus attention. That's what like a producer will do. I'll have to you know, focus your attentions. When you're think- doing any kind of song is to think about where you want the, uh, the attention. Is it the groove? Is it the, is it the hook? Is it the lyric? Too much complexity everywhere just kind of uh, messes it up. And yeah, the um, the bridge was really cool. I was almost waiting for a solo after the bridge, but I guess like you could actually do that live. Oh, I'm absolutely! Sure you'd be able to. Mm-hmm. You just have like uh, different players doing some leads there to kind of you know bring up the energy. Yeah, we definitely opened it up on a live show. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, what was the uh, what was the tracking of of this like? So this one, I mean, the whole record really. We were we were fortunate. Um, to have received some Canadian grants to help mm. us out with this record. And so that really meant we could pull out all the stops. Um, so there are 29 musicians. Uh, I, actually, I think there's 29 musicians on this one track. Uh, <laughs> and um, so, so what, I, what I did was when, when Alex and I got together, um, and it's great working with Alex because he's also um, an engineer. So we were able to track the demo in real time, which was fantastic. Wow. 
So it really speeds up the process um, for us. And and we, we pretty much, we didn't record this album twice, but in a way we did. Um, so I really wanted to build the track and then build the arrangement. So we built the track and meaning um, when I take a range, like when I look at a tune for arranging, I'm thinking three things. I'm thinking intro, outro, and then horns. That's what I'm thinking. Um, so what my, what's my intro going to be? What's my outro going to be? And what are the horns going to do from the beginning to the end? So this track came together. We laid down the, the demo. Um, and then what we did was brought the rhythm section in just to do another demo and we laid we i wrote up the intro so minus any horns or anything like that so wrote out the intro what i wanted them to to try to do in the studio um and we brought the vocalist in and we able to to track what i think things should be and from there i just listen i listen and i listen and try different things out using my notation software sibelius and then so from there i was able to map the song out arrangement wise and i did that for most of the record yeah i just like just logistically getting all those musicians together Mm -hmm. and and playing it's uh regardless how good your vst is it's never going to be like the real thing never it never is no yeah and and things change you know things i'm sure i'm sure of it you know things did change in the studio where i would try something and then i was like man that might that might not work and so you know kind of tweak things as we go along but for the most part we, we were able to try to i was able to do most of the arranging um outside of that now we did bring you know in terms of like songwriting for the whole record um this is our third record. And so the first record, um, I was really inspired by the Funk Brothers in my time with them. So um, I did most of the songwriting. Uh, I collaborated with our guitar player, David Gaw, a little bit, but most of the tunes uh, I wrote and brought Delbert in and we did it and it was amazing. But for me as a songwriter and arranger, the only way I grow is I um, co-write. So um, the second record, I opened up the floodgates a little bit and wrote the majority of that record with um, David Gaw and Rebecca Noel. So Rebecca, she's a fantastic vocalist and great songwriter. And David is a our guitar player and really great at um, honing in on the harmonic progression. So I love writing with David because we'll, we'll get together and we're like, okay, let's work on the bridge. And we have an idea and we're like, okay, this is sounding good. And then David says, okay, wait a minute. Let's try every permutation we can to see if we like this idea or we like the new idea. So we would spend, even if it's like an eight bar progression, we would spend an hour going through every every permutation we can. And sometimes we would stick with the original idea, you know, but at least we've exhausted all the other ideas. Um, and for the third record, I really opened up the floodgates. So um, there's Jeff Rogers is our main vocalist. So he co- pretty much co-wrote half the record with me. Um, Alex Masternardi, uh, my engineer and co-producer, Rebecca Noel, Mackenzie DeMillo is our other vocalist. And um, even members outside the band I collaborated with to, to, for the songwriting part. And I also collaborated with other arrangers. 
So for for this, because I I treat this as a lesson. Every single time I co-write is a lesson for me. And every time I get someone to arrange something is a lesson for me. So I looked at my favorite bands. So my favorite band is Tower of Power, uh, one of them. Chicago is another huge influence of mine. Um, so um, I listen to either one of those bands every single day. So I reached out to the arranger for Tower of Power, uh, Dave Eskridge, and I said, I told him my story. I said, can I hire you to arrange some of our music? And he heard our music and he said, yes. And I was like, this is amazing. So, so now we have, you know, Dave Eskridge arranging, uh, he arranged uh, one song and then two songs, and then we did one together. And it was a joy working with him. And then it was great for me because I hired him to do the arrangements and he gave me the arrangements. And then I'm such a nerd when it comes to arranging, I dissected every single voicing, like everything he did, uh, phrasing, range, everything. And I said, okay, I like that. Hmm. And so I, I kind of took that cell, you know, that, that horn cell, whether it be, you know, lead trumpet on the nine, second trumpet on the seven, uh, oh, right. you know, tenor on the, the, the five, other tenor on the three, Barry on the root or like whatever he did, hmm. you know, um, I, I took that and I was like, Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to use that. And so I looked at my own arranging and I, and I implemented all those things that I've learned. Uh, cool. So I treated it like it was a lesson and it made yeah. me a stronger arranger. It made me a stronger producer, everything. So I, I did that with Dave Eskridge. And then uh, my other favorite musician is Prince. So mm. I found out, you know, who I knew who arranged all Prince's stuff. It was Michael B. Nelson, who is in Corey Wong's band. Uh, he's the trombone player and he's, he's a great guy. So I reached out to him. And so he arranged one song for us. And I, I did wow. the same thing. And then uh, Philip Lassiter is a fantastic trumpet player. He lives in Europe right now. And um, he arranged some songs. So he also worked for Prince and Ariana Grande and the list goes on and on and on. So, but these people don't know me from, from the hole in the ground. Right. You know, they're, at the end of the day, they're, they're hired guns. You know, yeah. they, you, they're, they're arrangers for hire. And I just kind of took it upon myself to, to reach out to them form the relationships because it's all about networking mm. and uh, and work with these fantastic people that inspire me to do what I do every day. And it's a lesson for me. So it's a, it's a win-win. <laughs> yeah. You made an interesting point about the networking. You know, I was never a very good networker when I was young. And I think that that was one of my challenges. And I'm, I'm better now because you know, I own my, I run my own uh, marketing agency, but how do you go about sort of networking? What are your, the techniques that you use to build your network of musical contact, which is important? Very important. Um, I, I also had to learn uh, networking skills. Um, you know, I came into this game, you know, 10 years ago thinking I'd, I'd walk into a room full of business professionals industry professionals rather. And the only thing that came to mind was, well, these people do not need to talk to me. I'm not going to be able to enhance their careers at all. Like, why would they even talk to me? And uh, I learned very quickly that the music industry is, we're, we're, we're a close-knit community. You know, we're always trying to, to help out everybody. And um, they do want to talk to me. And um, 
even though I don't have, you know, maybe I don't have Spotify numbers to back it up or I don't have a, a record label backing me up or like whatever, mm. you know, they still want to talk to me. And so I took it upon myself to show enthusiasm. That's for me, you know, this is the entertainment industry. So you have to be entertaining. And if you don't know what to say, and a lot of the time I don't, I always ask, just ask questions mm. and, and then listen. You know, don't interrupt. And But asking questions for me is the most important element of networking because it shows the other person that you're interested in their career. You're interested in what they have to say. Yeah. So that helped me a lot, you know, when, in, in terms of networking. Did you, do you do anything to kind of keep track of people and to maintain those connections? Because that was always the toughest part for me. Mm-hmm. I, I do have an, an active working spreadsheet that I have all my contacts in. And then I'll have, you know, name, um, where they work, phone number, email. Um, but I'll also have um, like a miscellaneous column. And that it could anything can go in there. Like last time I followed up with them. Um, or even just maybe something we talked about during our last conversation. It could be music related or it could be anything. Right. could be that I found out that they just got a puppy. Like it could be anything. Right. And I'll put that in there. So then next time I follow up with them, I could read that. I'd be like, oh, I could ask them about that. Again, asking questions. So, and mm. it shows that I'm interested. I'll be like, oh yeah, you know, last time we talked, you had a puppy or, you know, how's that? No, I'm sure it's not a puppy anymore. We'll talk about that for a second or, you know, it's just something random, but sometimes that's what makes the difference, you know, in that, in, in, in holding that contact. So, so now of course I'm very interested in networking with music supervisors. Like we all are, because it really is, you know, the, the, the new way that we can get our music out there uh, and be heard by the masses um, so very interested in networking with music supervisors and I'm going to, you know, music supervising network opportunities, you know, various sync summit or like whatever. Um, and, uh, just trying to do that as much as I can. Yeah. Cause if you get a track on a, a TV show or a movie, that can, uh, that can really make, make the, make the big difference in one's musical possibilities. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm amazed that, um, People who get these huge bands together and manage to put it on a show because with just three guys, it was it was challenging enough. It's it's it is challenging. It is it is. Yeah, I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but that's what you got to do. So yeah. what's coming up uh, next for uh, the commotions? So we've got this new album coming out uh, at the end of October, um, and uh, very excited about it. Uh, so we've heard one track from that, "Feel the Commotion," but there's 11 other songs on that record. Um, I just got the vinyl today. It's sitting up in my family room in boxes. I haven't uh, opened it up yet. I'm very eager. <laughs> uh, so right now I'm focused on our release show, which is happening uh, in Ottawa, Ontario, Canada. Um, that's going to be the first stop. And I'm just hoping that we can um, really have a bit out, a bit of an outreach with this new record, uh, increase our streaming numbers, um, get more people in our mailing list, more people interested in purchasing our music off our website, more interested in um, trying to get us on different festival stages across Ontario. Uh, I'd love to go to the States. That'd be a big dream of mine, bring our sound to the States. Um, we'll see if we can make that happen within the next year. Um, but really just trying to build the band awareness at this point. 
Do you uh, hire people down in the States to do the, the horn stuff? Yeah, absolutely. I could do that. Yeah, it's it's the the best thing is everything's written down. Ah, yeah. So See, kids, there's a reason easy. to learn the dots and the flags. It can yeah. actually help you. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's that's my day gig. You know, I'm a, I teach music theory at uh, at uh, Algonquin College uh, in the oh, music wow. industry arts program. So it's it's so important. You know, and I'll, I'll show them, I'll show them the arrangements and be like, listen, this is what you could do. I mean, and then you could, it's so much easier for writing. If you could write things down, how many, how many times have we written an idea and maybe we don't have a tape recorder or yeah. our phones with us, but if you could physically write down the notes, you know, that's going to help you when you're able to continue writing that song. So you don't forget yeah. about it. Yeah. It also helps you to look at your music in a, in a different way. Mm -hmm. All these things are tools that help you become a better songwriter. Well, I hear the band. I think that means they want to go home because uh, that means that's all the time we have here on Song Talk Radio. We'd like to thank our guest from the commotions. Thank you, sir. I hope you can come back again sometime. I'd love to. Thank you so much. Don't forget, we'd love to hear from you on any subject. So send us an email at feedback at songtalk.ca. You can find links to all the products, books, and whatnot we talk about here on the show on the resources page on songtalk.ca. And no matter if you happen to be in Toronto, Ontario, or any else or anywhere else around the world, why not join us for the Song Talk Radio Songwriters Meetup? It happens online via Zoom and locally in Toronto and very soon in St. John's, Newfoundland, where you can network with other songwriters and get insightful fe feedback on your works in progress. Free to join and free to attend. Stop by the website at songtalk.ca for the link and the info. But Brian, where can we get more of you? So you can check out The Commotions online at uh, www.thecommotionsband.com. Uh, all our dates are up there. Uh, and then you could always subscribe to our mailing list and we'll give you not too many emails, probably just once a month, give you an update to the band and we'll let you know when the record's coming out and all that. You can get more of Neil at neilmodi.com and you can get more of me at philemory.ca. And... Stop by the website at songtalk.ca to browse past shows and find out how you could be a guest on this very show. Thanks for listening, everyone, and keep on writing!